Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Studio Wesley Annex, our weekly discussion of the lectionary text of Derek Scott III, your host with members of the Studio Wesley team. And so let me just introduce them really quickly. Um, we got Michael Yerrick uh, here with us. Michael, how are you today, sir? I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm going, it's, things are going. Mm -hmm. That's, I, that is, that is fair. That is accurate. We're in Lent. So doing like just being is very sufficient for the season of Lent. We've also got good friend, Sydney Buchanan. How are you, Sydney? I'm good. Things are good over here. Awesome. Yeah. So you know, Michael, you're in Cincinnati. Sydney, you're in Atlanta. And Neil, you're in South Jacksonville. How are you doing, Neil? Uh, to quote the good place, birth is a curse and existence is a prison. Wow. <laughs> that That is a Linton mood right there. That is a straight up Linton mood. <laughs> well, we are excited about today's episode. We are in the second week of Lent uh, and just uh, starting this really beautiful season of reflection, this season of preparation towards Easter. Um, and we've got a really great discussion ahead. Um, and so I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to dive into our text. So friends, let's pray together. Great God of Lent, great God of love. We look to you and we thank you for the chance we get to discuss the text this week. These scriptures that are gifts from you that help us on our journey of faith. And so I just ask that wherever we are on that journey, however we're feeling about you, Jesus, and 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 even our proximity to the church, that you would help us to, in these texts, to be reminded that we're deeply loved by you and that um, you're invested in our lives. And so thanks for my friends here. Thanks for the discussion that we're about to have. And we give you praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all. So we are looking today at Romans 4, Genesis 12, Psalm 121, and John chapter 3. And Neil is going to get us started with the Romans text. So Neil, go ahead and take it away, my friend. Hello there. Uh, yeah, today, you know, talking about Romans 4, 1 through 5, as well as 13 through 17. And uh, as with, I think, the last Annex recording, uh, I'm being attacked by scripture. So it's great. Um the thing that I think I love the most about Romans 4, 1 through 5, and as well as like 13 through 17 in a way, is I feel like it it tackles this idea that I think pops up in a lot in Christianity where people always like to, it's like, uh, like this would go, this would have gone really well in one of uh, Ben's like bumper sticker theology ones uh, where it's like, people always say faith without works is dead. You know, and I feel like people I feel like these passages sort of like tackle that in a way where it says, you know, like Abraham had faith in God and it was credited to him as righteousness. But like, you know, workers don't earn their money based on like grace, like they they have to earn it like they deserve it in a way. And so it's it's that thing of it's not just faith that gets you righteousness. It's not like just works that get you righteousness. They kind of have to go hand in hand. But then, you know, it's like so it's it's a it's I feel like it's a very deep question that it is trying to answer. And for me, it definitely gets like close to it. You know, it like points me in the direction of what the answer could be, but I don't know if there's an answer. Um, and then at 13 through 17, you know, it talks about like Abraham and his descendants, like they will inherit the world, but that didn't come through law, but that came through righteousness, which then came through faith. And I like that as well, you know, to show that like, you don't just, you don't just get the world, you know, you have to like earn the world in a way. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It just, it, 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 it touches something down in my soul. 
Wow. Neil, you got in and you got out on that, but that was, there was some good stuff in there and I appreciate it. I think one of the things that I, um, I, I love verse 13 as well. And I want to read it again because I, I like you actually read it almost verbatim um, in the common English Bible. I want to read it again. Like the promise to Abraham and to his descendants that he would inherit the world didn't come through the law, but through the righteousness that comes from faith. And it pings for me, it's not in this week's text at all, but it pings for me the statement um, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Sermon on the Mount, uh, blessed are those who um, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall inherit the earth, I think is what it says. There's, there's, and, 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 and there's this connection of how we inherit the earth. And I would just also say then, it disrupts any ideas around capitalistic inheritance, right? And that that is then takes me back to the beginning of this week's text, where we're talking about being um, uh, that Abraham is is our ancestor simply on the basis of genealogy. No, like he's our ancestor on the basis of faith, and that makes me think about the ways that we. Um, can find affinity and even family with people because of this faith journey, this faith conversation that we're in and how it all brings us. And which again, disrupts this law kind of understanding. Like I am, I mean, it's like when people get married, it's like brother-in-law, sister-in-law, you know, parents-in-law, that kind of thing. Like, no, 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 no. Like we're in this thing because of a journey that we're on, because of questions we're asking, um, that often don't actually have answers sometimes, right? And so all of that, I just you knew that was coming up to me even as you were, even though you got in and you got out, like you you gave me all the thoughts. So Sydney, Michael, one of y'all have any other ideas or thoughts as well? Um, yeah, literally, yes. Literally, yes. I, as Neil was talking, that same kind of thing was coming up to me, Derek, of like, I feel like, honestly, because I obviously read all the scriptures that we're talking about today, and I, I kept seeing this kind of, like, theme throughout them of, like, a discussion of, like, the thing, the aspect of all of this that's, like, out of our control, and that's, like, just, it's just about accepting what's out of our control, um, and I feel like faith is one of those things where it's so, like, this is not about what you're doing, like, Yes, we need to talk about what you're doing, but there's also this huge piece that has nothing to do with what you're doing and everything to do with how you're positioning yourself. And I think that, um, you know, like you said, that is what we need to hear in an incredibly individualistic society that, you know, worships capitalism and worships meritocracy and this idea that it's about what we're doing, it's about how hard we're working. Um, we need to hear that, like, it's not. <laughs> it's literally not. So, yeah. Thanks, Neil. Thanks, Derek. I don't. I don't. I'm. I'm just now navigating this the juxtaposition of law and faith as like two things that do go against each other in a way. And I am wondering about the implications, Derek, that you now bring up about brother-in-law and sister-in-law and what that says about like our choice and like. I don't know. To me, faith has like a very big, like consensual nature to it of like, I'm choosing to like believe in this because I want to, like, I don't think forced, like forced faith isn't faith necessarily. So I, I don't know what I'm saying. I'm just talking out loud. That's all I got. 
it's it's very okay to talk out loud in uh, Studio Wesley Annex. It helps us get to some of these discussions. So I love it. And uh, Michael, you get to continue to talk out loud because we are now going into the Old Testament text, Genesis 12. So you can continue to talk out loud. Uh, I will continue to talk out loud. Um, okay, so yeah, my text is uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. Um this is the call call to Ab Abram, who will become Abraham, to go out into your country or follow my words. Go where I tell you to, and it'll things will be great. I promise. Um, what? So I, I I always read things first in like a more traditional text, like NIV, and then I go to the voice because the voice is the one that speaks to me the most. Um, and like the specific verse or chunk I want to read from that says. Um, uh, I have plans to make a great people from your descendants, and I'm going to put a special blessing on you and cause your reputation to grow so that you will become a blessing and example to others. And that is honestly the part that I got hung up the most with is the usage of the word reputation in this, um, specifically that our reputations are literally given to us by God or blessed upon us by God. Because one, I do think this like flattens the idea of reputation a little more like I'm thinking in terms of like the amount of followers somebody would have or whatever, like our reputation, our like um, our base, our platform that we're giving given is given to us by God. And I do think that sort of gives me a call to use that platform for whatever purpose we may have. Like, I think there's a lot of like crap given to celebrities who like speak out on issues, but I feel like this verse is literally telling us like, no, that platform was given to you and blessed upon you by God. So like use it. Um, the other thing I wanted to, point out just in terms of um the overall struggle that this would be for me <laughs> if god was like hey leave everything just kind of go out there i promise it'll be great it'll be great i swear the like struggle that i would have like we're in lent and i'm trying to give up chocolate and like three hours in i'm already like god i don't know if you like honestly i don't think you realize how much i need chocolate like this isn't this isn't great uh, like, I already can't even trust God because I know better for myself that I need chocolate. And, like, I can't even let something that trivial go. And then, uh, you know, Abraham's over here, like, giving up what feels like everything in trust of something that he can't even see, this, like, ultimate faith journey. Um, I don't know. It it calls out a lot to me. I, what's funny to me also, the last thing I'll say, is that in the NIV version of this, the last sentence is, Abram was 75 years old when he set out. And that's just funny to me because it's like, yeah, he was 75. You're 26. Tell me, tell me how hard your life is like giving things up at 26. Tell me, just tell me how, how hard that is. Uh, and the verse is like, he was 75. He lived another hundred years, but still 75. It's a big old deal. So I'm going to stop there. Love it. Love it. I, uh, I'll say this now because um, if I had said it before, it would have made Michael nervous, but Genesis 12 is one of my core texts um, in life. So um, you treated it beautifully, Michael. Um, Sydney, Neil, y'all got any thoughts on what Michael just gave us? Um, yes. Thank you, Michael, for that reflection. I, um, yeah, I don't think I would have known what to do if this was the text that I was reflecting on, so I appreciate you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I that was just a really interesting reflection about like our reputations as something that's like given to us as something to foster. Um, 
and use, I guess. I I actually think I relate to that because I've I have these instances with people where people are reflecting to me how they perceive me as a person. I don't know if y'all can relate to this, but people will be like, you're so confident or you're so insert something that I, in my head, my perception of myself is not in the least what I think of myself, right? And that, it's moments like those where I kind of feel like, that's crazy. <laughs> like, I, you know what I mean? That like, that you're seeing me this way and it almost feels kind of, kind of like, a kind of like a, a kind of reputation that's being given to me to like, you know what I mean? Like, okay, like if people are seeing me that way, what does that mean about the way I treat them, right? Like me treating a person with kindness who perceives me as somebody who's like has confidence and like has a lot of friends or has whatever, right? Like even if I don't see myself that way, that has a different impact. It has a different, it lands differently. And so, um, I don't know. I think that's an interesting reflection on how we see ourselves versus our reputation. Yeah. Something, something in that sort of bouncing off of you, Sydney, like reminds me of this book that I started reading, which is actually a very old book, but essentially this, I think he's Italian, this Italian author, the whole concept of the book is the character, his protagonist is having an existential crisis at like 31 because he has just realized that like one of his like one of his nostrils sags lower than the other. And he gets on this whole tangent of realizing that there is a different version of him in everybody else's head that doesn't line up with the version that's in his head, which might not even line up with the version that he actually is. And so he has a whole a whole crisis where he's like, oh, my God, everyone thinks I'm a different person than I think I am. And everyone looks at me differently. And I'm like and I haven't like I'm like 31 years old. I don't even know one of my not my nostrils are uneven. Like, like, I don't know what to do. It's like I didn't made it this far and I didn't know. And my wife pointed it out like it was the easiest thing ever. And he has this obsession, which conveniently there's a mirror over here. Wrong hand. There's a mirror. And he tries to like surprise himself in the mirror. Like he'll like jump in front of the mirror to see if he can see him as he actually is rather than he perceives himself. And he fails most of the time. But one time he did and he was pretty scared anyway. Yeah. And and the name of this book is Neil? Uh, one None and a Hundred Thousand. Hmm. Actually. Please, please. Yeah. Rocking. All right. Book recommendation received. I'll just add, um, again, part of this is because this is one of my core texts. Um, here is some of the background of Genesis 12 that totally lands into this conversation we're having about reputation and how we see ourselves. Abram's dad, his name is, I believe his name is Ur. Um, no. No, oh, no, his name's Ur. His name is Ur. Um, they're coming from someplace. Like they've been nomadic for a minute. They're coming from someplace and they're headed someplace. But in the middle of the journey, Abram's brother dies. And at the moment that Abram's brother dies, the journey's done. We're not going anywhere else. We're staying right here. 
Now, the brother that dies is actually, if you follow the story of Abram, he's got this nephew, Lot, that keeps getting into trouble, and Abram's always going to, like, rescue him. Well, Lot is the son of the brother who dies. But essentially, like, their, their family just stops right in place and can't go any further. So they're not nomadic anymore because they're not moving, but they're not in their own land. So they're just sort of in a no man's, no human's place. And it's some theologians think that this is like the crisis that Abram is in the midst of, that Abram literally doesn't know who he is. He doesn't know what his family is because his family has experienced some kind of trauma that's literally stopped them dead in their tracks. And then Genesis 12, Yahweh speaks to Abram and says, I want you to leave all of that. And I want you to go to a new land, which is literally like, I want you to start a new family story. And here's here's your family story. I'm going to tell you who your family, I'm going to like talk, I'm going to create the story. So it's not Abram, because you've got all these other like stories right throughout the scriptures, like this person's son of this person, this person's son of that person, this person. And that's where their reputation comes from, right? Like, yeah, even Jesus is called the son of David. Like his reputation is in the line of David. Abram is not called Abram, son of Ur. Abram's just Abram, who eventually becomes Abraham. And it's it's literally God that's going to, what God says, I'm going to make your name respected. That's literally God saying, I'm going to start the whole story over again. And that and and I'll I'll be the author of it. And it's this incredible thing when we start thinking about reputation. And Sydney, you kind of spoke right into it where the it's like the way people think about us or talk about us. And Neil, you were like Landon, it's like Abram spends his the rest of the story trying to figure out what it means to be Abraham. Like what he's looking in the mirror, is like Okay, I'm not Abram anymore. I'm not Abram, son of Ur anymore. Like I'm, I'm, I'm Abraham now. And even Sarai, Sarai is now Sarah, Sarah. Like, so what does this mean? And and Abram's journey is trying to live into a story that God is writing for him, a reputation and a name that God is giving him. Okay, that was a whole lot of stuff. And but M- Michael, I love that you landed on the reputation the name respected because there's this weird thing about having to live into, and I'll say it this way because I think it'll be provocative to live into an identity that you didn't ask for. And it, and, and we are in an age where we often talk about identity, but what does it mean to live into an identity that you didn't ask for? But this is it. This is like, when, when you look into the mirror, this is it. <laughs> this is who you are. This is who you've been made to be. And so your work is to, and I, I don't know, like, I don't, I don't know, like back to the beginning, like that's a question that I don't know if we've got a lot of answers for, but I feel like all of that's happening in Genesis 12. So with that, I talked way too much, but it's because it's one of my core texts. So thank you, Michael, for getting us started with that. It's been so good, good start to the episode. And now we're going to go to a break. We'll be right back. Hi friends, if we haven't met, my name is Allison and I'm here to talk to you about one of the resources that we have to offer at The Wellness Project. The Wellness Project has two new cohorts starting this spring and you should definitely join us. 
A cohort is a mental health module that has been designed by campus ministers and students on our design team. The first cohort is titled Mental Health Overview and is exactly what it sounds like. There are eight sessions total and each session covers a different topic on mental health and wellness to give you a general overview of what those topics are. The second cohort is called Peer Support and that's four sessions all to do with peer support. We would love to have you join us and if you'd like to sign up, go to studiowesley.org slash wellnessproject. And we're back. Welcome back to Studio Wesley Annex. Um, Y'all would have loved to have been a part of the conversation that we had on the break. Seriously, we might one day do outtakes, um, but not of this one, not of this episode, no. We do have two corrections for you, though. I believe his name is Er. Um, no. No, no, his name's Er. His name is Er. Um, so I'll start with mine, and then Neil will give his. So. My correction about Abram is that Abram's dad was named Tara or Tara, and his brother is named Er. So my bad. <laughs> See, I'm coughing. Though. That's how bad it was. Like, um, I apologize. I, I should have been more accurate. It literally is like the last verses of chapter 11. So I could have just glanced, but I didn't. My bad. Neil, do you want to make your correction for posterity's sake? Yeah, the book I was uh, referring to, One None in 100,000, I said the protagonist is 31. He's actually slightly younger, 28, but I was in the ballpark. I knew it was around 30. I'm not sure if I want to buy the book now. Like, I thought this was a book about a 30-something. Now it's about a 20-something? I don't know, man. I don't know. Mm. Well, with that, we'll now go to the psalm text, and uh, Sydney is going to reflect on it. So take it away, my friend. Hello. Um, yes, yeah, Psalm 121 is what I was given to reflect on. And um, I, ha I have some notes. So if I'm looking down, it's just me looking at my notes. But I, um, all right, so I'm, I'm always coming, I grew up in the church. Um, and so I'm always coming to scripture with like all these kinds of like, previous interpretations about like what it's supposed to mean for me. And um, the psalm is not an exception. I think a lot of us have heard the psalm, you know, um, I raise my eyes toward the mountains. Where will my help come from? My help will come from the Lord, the maker of heaven. There's like a whole song about it. I don't know if y'all remember that song. Um, and I think that my first kind of like memory of this text and the way it's been interpreted for me is kind of this idea that like, um, because God loves us, God protects us and God's our perfect protector. And, you know, you know, if we pray, God will protect us. But if, you know, things don't go our way, then everything happens for a reason. And like, it's meant to happen that way anyways. So if bad things happen to you, it's not because, you know, it's just because, everything happens for a reason. And, and so like, I guess what was coming up for me first with this, it felt like this scripture is like this unrealistic promise of like protection and the, like of life being perfect in a way that like life just isn't. If you've lived any amount of years, you know that life is unpredictable and it's messy and 
it's not always safe and it's not always good. Um, <clears throat> and so coming at this scripture now, I'm kind of like often now when I come to scripture, I'm thinking about the ways that scripture, I guess, affects the way that I live, right? Like I, I now come to a lot of like religious practices with this idea of like religion and spirituality as something that is so incredibly important and functional for helping us cope with the existential dread and the existential crises of life that are inevitable and a part of being human. And so I'm reading this scripture now is like, okay, what does this mean for me in the way that I live? Um, and I guess like what kind of came up for me was this idea that like, um, there is something I think very good and valuable about recognizing that life isn't in our control and that we're not going to be able to protect ourselves. We're not going to be able to keep ourselves safe. We're not going to be able to in and of ourselves assure that life goes the way we want it to, I guess. Um, and that there is kind of this outside bigger source of that we have to at some point give responsibility to um, because we can't take it all on. We can't take responsibility of our life to that degree because we're only one person. Um, and so, you know, like I was, and I'll wrap this up. I feel like I'm talking too long, but I was thinking about how in AA they talk about how, you know, you need to have like a higher power. Um, that's like kind of one of the parts of the like 12 steps. And, um, they, you know, now have kind of adapted that to like, even if you're not like a Christian and you don't believe in God or like, you have to pick like this higher power that's above yourself to like help you in those moments where you feel like you can't do it on your own. And I think that's what this is. I think that that's what the scripture does for us. It, it, it gives us this relief that like, we don't need to take responsibility of it all. And it's okay for us to put our trust in something bigger than ourselves in our communities in God in what helps us, I guess, cope with those things. And last thing I'll say is if you're watching the last of us, I'm not going to spoil anything, but if you're watching the last of us right now, um, there's this scene where like, there's something kind of chaotic happening. Um, and Joel is kind of the, one of the lead characters is up in this building, like with like a sniper. And then Ellie, the like other lead character, this young girl is like on the ground level. And I love this scene because what's happening is amongst all this chaos, Ellie is like running through these people and these monsters and da 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 da. And the whole time Ellie is trusting that Joel, who was up in this building with a sniper, is like keeping her protected. And so <laughs> that just came to my mind because I'm thinking like, how would we move if we lived life in a way that we trusted that things were going to be okay, that we were going to be protected, that we were going to flourish, that things were going to help us grow? Like, how would we move differently? What kind of things would we do if we didn't move out of a place of fear? Anyways, I've been talking too long. That's what I got. What do you guys think?
and you could you could have kept talking because it was really really strong, Sydney. Um, always appreciate your treatment of the text and the way that you come to it, honestly. And also bringing up The Last of Us because like there were no spoilers. There were no spoilers, and I'm 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 impressed. Michael, Neil, y'all got any thoughts on what Sydney just gave us? Yeah, I I have literally zero concept about anything that has to do with The Last of Us. Funny enough. Um, so yeah, just a great, just a great image. What I do know a lot about is overthinking. Now this feels like a sales pitch. Um, but no, yeah, this, uh, this idea of what would our life look like if, um, if we could just trust that everything was going to go, go okay, feels so foreign, but also so beautiful. Um, my like, so just quick anecdote to like go off of what you're saying, Sydney is like, so as a, as a kid, whenever I was like laying in bed, scared of the dark, I would always, I would always just start chanting like a psychopath this notion of like nothing bad will happen to me because god will keep me safe like i would just start saying that over and over and as i got older i was like wow am i trying to like guilt trip god am i trying to guilt trip god into like oh this like i'm i'm over here saying nothing bad will happen because of you god so now god's gonna be like well can't let anything bad happen to him or i'll look like a jerk because that's how like i think like the overthinking mentality so and then as I got even older, I started like going back and forth with those two things of like, am I am I like am I guilt tripping God? Oh, I'm sorry, God, I don't mean to guilt trip you. And then I'd be like, oh, am I only apologizing because I want him to think that I'm sincere? But just this like spiral, and it would always end with the phrase like, you take that, God, like you take that mess of feelings, that mess of like processing, and you just take that and pick out from it what the true meaning is, just like. Yeah, this ultimate like trust of like, I don't know what the heck I was just thinking, but maybe God will. I don't know. It's just I don't know. It's very it's very comforting. I I agree. I love I love that lens you put on it, Sydney. So yeah, like connect <laughs> connecting that to the Last of Us of all things made the text make so much more sense to me. I mean, like not that it didn't make sense, you know, because it did, but like. Yeah, and particularly the example like you know that you gave about that because I've been there are like bits of that show and I I you know I I know what happens like in the game like and everything right but like seeing how everything has changed like in the show like the little changes stuff they make has brought like whole new levels to it and there are, there are bits of that show that are haunting me in my dreams uh, basically <laughs> not like not even the scary bits no not scary bits it's all just like the deep emotional bits and I think the bit about like Ellie having to give up control and like trust that joel like has her is like this very like it's a very powerful image because like i think we as humans and when i say we as humans i mean me uh i think like that we struggle with like understanding that not everything is within our control you know that there are times where we can basically do everything right and that things will not turn out the way you want them to and things never do you know like things never turn out exactly the way you want them to like things always look a little bit different you know or like it might work out but not quite in the way you expected it to or things can just go catastrophically wrong and then you're like ah i started off with good intentions <laughs> um and the impacts were bad very bad and so that's just like uh that's just like a very like powerful image to me of like trying to let go and hope that everything will, as I would always say, buff out um, 
which that was a that was a good mentality to have for a while. And now I'm like, I don't know if it's working for me. So I'm look I'm looking for something else. So if anybody if anybody could point me to the right aisle to find to find uh, hope and love in the world again, please uh, point me that direction. Um, I had something else I was gonna say about last was I forget. It's fine. So I'm just gonna pick up right where you left off, Neil. And I again I I love the last of us image, but I love your honest approach. Like when you started Sydney is like, I don't know how I'm feeling about this. Like, I don't know if this is actually how life goes. And it reminds me that the Psalms are in the canon of scripture, not because they describe these deep, unshakable realities about God, but because they accurately describe the human experience. So they are these moments that, like Ellie, we are sure that Joe has us. It's Joe, right? Joel, Joel. We are sure that Joel has us. But no spoilers. There are moments where Ellie's like, fine, leave me. Get out of my face. Same Ellie, same Joel, different emotion all real. And so there are moments that David's like, I look to the hills because that's where my help comes and God's going to protect me. God's going to take care of me. And then there are moments that David's like, you ain't never been here for me and you are probably never coming through and it's fine. (laughs) I'll be fine. (laughs) Same David talking about the same God, a different emotion on a different day and it's all real. And it's one of the reasons I do love and sometimes don't love the Psalms because they're just so real, right? And so it's the question of like, I think that maybe the question for me, uh, Sydney, is how am I doing today with Psalm 121? Do I feel like Psalm 121 really describes how I feel about God, how I feel about life, how I feel about my circumstances, or is there a disconnect? And what is that disconnect? And how might that, even acknowledging that disconnect, how might it be holy? How might it be sacred? How might it give me information I need to continue on the journey? Um, but I'll just say that it, it that that for me, it's all sparked with you coming to the text, sort of saying, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's how it really is. And, and I think that we all get to do that, especially with the Psalms. Oh my gosh. Like if there's a, if there's a set of writings that you get to be like, I don't know about that, Jesus. It's the Psalms, man, because the Psalms are specific emotions on specific days for specific people. And we get to decide if we're going to take those on or not. So Sydney, always I, I, I won't say it again. I'm just always so appreciative. Um, I will take us into now the New Testament text. Um, I have no connections to The Last of Us um, uh, with the New Testament text, but um, it is a text that many followers of Jesus are probably somewhat familiar with. John 3, one of the most famous scriptures, are contained in it. You're not going to really get to that because I'm actually super odd um, with the very first verse, and I'll just read it to you, um, the first few verses. Um, There was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a Jewish leader. He came to Jesus at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could do these miraculous signs that you do unless God is with him. And I just got to say, this is a level of humility that I'm not sure I've got. 
Maybe you've got it, but I'm not sure I've got. And the older I get, the harder it is to have this kind of humility. So I want you to get a sense of what this humility is here that Nicodemus is bringing in here. Nicodemus is not in first grade, okay? Nicodemus is not off the street, just like never put, picked up a Jewish document, never had a conversation about Jewish law, never thought about Yahweh and what, God, what Yahweh's thinking in the world. No, Nicodemus is a leader and a teacher of the law. He's a teacher of the law in a tradition that is trying to preserve it because that tradition, the tradition of the Pharisees, actually believes that if they could get back to the, the, the true tradition of the people of Yahweh, the people of Israel, then, then Yahweh might come back and deliver them, not just a spiritual liberation, like an actual liberation from their oppressors, Rome. Okay, and this is not the only tradition hanging out in first century AD. So Nicodemus being a Pharisee is a reaction to and a response to the fact that there's other conversations happening. And you know what happens when there's diversity of thought in a room. Often we hold on to our perspective real, real tightly, and we're not here for anybody to challenge it. I'm sure you've been in that room where people have had different ideas and nobody's moving, um, even though there's all. So anyway, that's who Nicodemus is. Nicodemus is at least a smart man. He might actually be a rigid man. I mean, he might be somebody who really has like, he has decided this is who he is. This is what he is about. This is, these are his, these are his convictions. And he goes to, Jesus. And it's like, I got some questions. And he doesn't just go to Jesus with, I got some questions, but I got some questions. And they're for you because you know something that I don't know. And this is the level of humility that I don't think I have yet. Would I ever be willing to walk into a space with someone who I know sees the world differently than I do. Their actions tell me they see the world differently than I do. And I'm also not quite sure if I could even be seen in the daylight with them. So I go at night. That's sort of one of the ideas of why Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. It's because he doesn't really want to be seen by anybody going to camp. All right. So like, would I go to somebody in general, believing that they know something that I don't and open myself up to possibly having my mind changed. This to me is profound. Um, and I won't go, you know, where we've been in John and where we're going in John, because there are implications there of why the Nicodemus story sits here in, in the progression that John is giving us, there's a reason why Nicodemus comes before the woman at the well. There's a reason why Nicodemus, I, I said I wasn't going to explain why, okay, so let me just keep going. So here are the questions that it, that it asked me, um, this text. It doesn't have to ask you, but we're in Lent. If there was ever a season where we would ask ourselves hard questions that could very well change how we see the world, how we even identify ourselves, who we even go to. It's this season. This is the season of deep questioning. That this is, I think, what the Spirit actually is trying to do. Get us all in spaces where we ask deep questions. And that's what's happening with Nicodemus. So here's some questions. 
who am I willing to hear these words from? You might be wrong about that. I mean, who am I willing to like, let them like look at me and say, I know that you feel strongly about not liking mayonnaise. You might be wrong about that, Derek. And if y'all knew how much I hate mayonnaise, some of you do, you'd understand why that's like, like, no, I'm not ready to be told by anybody that I might be wrong about hating mayonnaise. Like, so put your actual thing there, that thing that you hold so tightly that you're like, I'm so sure. Who are you willing to go to, even at night? And would be willing to hear from them, you might be wrong about that. Um, who gets to say to you things like, verse 10, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things, which means there's there's like not just a little bit you don't know, there's a lot you don't know. And I do think that of many things happening in John 3, this is one of the things, this is one of the big things that's happening in John 3. And this is why I think it sits as a text for Lent. And, and even as we think about the, um, the, the, the text that we've listened to this week, there is something about having these questions that may not have easy answers. And there's even something about living into identities that, um, living into identities that we may not completely understand. I mean, there's so much that even the, will I go to a mountain and get help that I might not even know looks like, think looks like help. There's just so much there, but I love this image of humility that we've got from, from Nicodemus specifically, this image of going to somebody who has, who has been given permission. And it's, it's, that's it, right? Nicodemus gives Jesus permission to change his worldview. And I just think that is huge. I think that's profound. And I think it's a challenge that I'm not sure I'm ready for, but that's what I saw in the text. So I'll now invite my friends, Neil and Michael and Sydney to tell me what they think. I think there is something particularly brave um, about I think the decision to go to Jesus, like knowing that things are going to be different, knowing that things are going to change is a particularly brave one because it's, it's like, it's doing the thing that humans don't normally do, which is look change in the face and say, all right, bring it on. Like, cause, and I know a lot of people that do things like this, but occasionally whenever we start to, you know, and I'm not saying Nicodemus is losing control of his life, but like whenever we as people lose control of our lives, we like to try to get control back in little ways, right? In our surroundings. So maybe it's doing laundry or, you know, like shaving that morning or dyeing our hair, like think like, you know, if there are big things that are out of our control, like, well, what are the things I can control? What are the things I can change? But in terms of big change, like we don't typically at least I don't, I don't typically look at big change and I'm like, yeah, bring that on. That's what I want right there. Cause change is a painful, painful process. Like, you know, when you go through extreme metamorphosis, like you leave parts of yourself behind that you might not want to. And so, and, you know, looking at verse 10, you know, like, or verse nine and 10, when Nicodemus is like, how are these things possible? And Jesus says, you are a teacher of Israel and you don't know. Where it's like, it's like, bro, you're supposed to be smart, you know, 
It's like you're supposed to like you're supposed to know these things. Like you're supposed to be intelligent. And it's like, you know, and then in 11, he says, you know, I assure you that we speak about what we know and testify about what we've seen, but you don't receive our testimony. And, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, it's just like that sort of thing, like to look someone in the eye, just be like, what do you mean you don't understand? Like, that is like the hardest thing that I, that I, that I, you know, people say to me, you know, it's like, what do you mean you don't get it? And it's like, I don't know, man. Like, I just don't like, <laughs> I don't know. But, uh. Yeah, the idea that like going to him knowing that like his faith and outlook and everything is going to be completely different is just um a bold step, let's say. A bold step. I was trying to find a way to connect to the last of us. It uh, didn't quite get there. <laughs> I don't know the last of us, so I will repeat that again. Um I uh I I this is wild to say, but for the amount of times that I have heard John 3.16. All of us have heard John 3.16. It's pretty crazy that I never knew it was in this story. Like, I know this story, and I know John 3.16. Literally never never pieced together that that this is how that ends. Like, that that, that John 3.16, the pivotal verse, comes out of this sort of this sort of discussion uh, with Jesus is, like, honestly kind of wild context to me that I'm, I'm – I, I don't know. I think it's really cool. I don't have anything to add. I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, yeah, I really like the way you framed this, Derek. Um, I, you know, I have articulated pretty recently and realized about myself that a quality that I need in friends is for the people I surround myself to have the ability to be curious and like want to like learn. That like that is like a very important thing to me. I've been in conversations with people before where like they've just like lost all curiosity about things that they don't know. Um, and I, I don't know at what point in adulthood we get told that like we're supposed to like know everything um, or like not be open to like changing our mind or being challenged. It's like it. It's like our intellect becomes associated with like our worth at some point and it's and it's just like there's so much I don't know and I think it's so important to be able to go to people you trust and be changed like um or at least listen um yeah you know what I will I will connect this to the last of us there <laughs> I will in this last episode there's a scene where Ellie was talking to someone and they're kind of in a kind of debate about kind of the political, whatever that's going on in their world. And they're kind of on opposite sides of said political thing. And Ellie's friend keeps saying, it's okay that you don't know everything, Ellie. It's okay that you don't know everything. And I just like related to that. I'm like, you're right. It is okay. And so like when we accept that we don't know everything, we accept that we, um, are coming with such a narrow worldview, we can actually like grow. So I don't know. I like that framing. Michael, next time you come to Jacksonville, we'll do a Last of Us ma marathon. It'll be fun. This this week's episode has just been one of my faves. Um, I've loved being here with y'all. So. 
Um, I'm gonna pray for us, and then we'll uh, we'll be done. So let's uh, let's pray together, friends. Oh God, thanks for these texts. Thanks for the ways that they speak to our real lives, and even incredible series that we're watching right now, um, because so much of what's in the text, so much of what's in the scriptures, really does mimic and even speak to and transform our real lives. So. Thanks for that. Thanks for your spirit and the way that it breathes through these words. And my friends here and offering their reflections. Um, we're just grateful that we get to discuss these things. And so we give you praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, wow. Sydney, Neil, Michael, y'all are great people. And I'm very thankful that you joined me today. So friends, uh, thanks also to you for joining us for this week's episode. And we'll see you next time for another episode of Studio Wesley Annex. Be well, my friends. <laughs>